Einstein's general theory of relativity allows for the possibility of warping time to such a high degree that it actually folds upon itself, resulting in a time loop. That's what's happened to wolves. They make chances, blow almost all of them, don't get the result they should have got, and afterwards Bruno Large says, this is football, and reassures us that his team, if they keep playing like this, will eventually get the results they deserve. I'm Kevin Hatchard. And this is Football Only Better. My top tipping team is also in a time loop, giving you the best bets over and over and over again. Mark O'Hare has been crunching the numbers in his underground lair. Uh, Mark, Wolves, one of the most curious sides in the division. Don't score any goals, but they do have spells in games where they look quite fun and they have lots of flair players. So why isn't it working? What's gone wrong? God, that's a million dollar question. Um yeah, I mean, the underlying metrics suggested Wolves were, were flattered to finish 10th last season. Um, lack of firepower proving their downfall, but also the fact that Jose Sarr was in, in incredible form last season in terms of the goals prevented. Um, this season, um, I'd say he's probably running along average performance levels, but um, I know we're only three games in, but they've not scored since the sixth minute of the opening weekend. Um, they went on to lose that game against Leeds, drew 0-0 drew with Fulham um, and missed a penalty, of course. And then beaten in that game of Spurs in a pretty underwhelming match. But um, I thought they competed really well for the most part of that match at Tottenham. Um, didn't they were do a great huge first amount. half, weren't they? Really? Good. Yeah, didn't do a huge amount wrong in fairness. But um, they're probably going through a bit of a, an evolution right now. Bruno Large is trying to implement a new look style, a new look system. And that obviously left uh, Connor Cody needing a new club. But um, they're, they're trying to flourish a bit more in the final third. That is the aim. But um, last season, no team that, that survived had fewer shots than Wolves. This time around, they're having shots, but having shots from almost everywhere, apart from the good areas of the pitch. And surprisingly so, only Leicester and Bournemouth have had fewer shots in the box when Wolves threw three, three match days. Um, when you compare that to their actual total shot numbers, it's, it's quite alarming, really. Basically, they're just not <laughs> they're just shooting on sight and regardless of where they are on the field. And it's it's not really the, the answer or the solution. So they are a work in progress as an attacking unit. And I think I said last week, um, Gonzalo Guedes is a, a nice eye-catching signing, but um, I'm not totally convinced he's the solution down the centre of the pitch. I think he can offer a huge amount if he can play a bit more consistency, but I prefer him probably attacking from from the flanks and giving yeah. a bit more freedom in that regard. Uh, Mateus, a brilliant debut against Tottenham, as we probably expect midfield-wise. He's he's as good as you're going to get from outside of Europe um, in terms of a, going to a club outside of the big six. Wolves have really got a, a star on their, on their hands there, but um, that's Mateus Nunes, by the way, in case anybody thinks, has Lothar Mateus come back to play the Wolves? <laughs> no, no, that hasn't happened. Don't worry. Yeah, sorry. I, I don't know if he's if he's known as Nunes. I just call him Mateus, as that's what the Portuguese were doing last year. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it all looks like it might work further down the line. But right now, I do think they are a work in progress. And it's a tricky game this weekend, hosting Newcastle, who were involved in that exceptional match against Manchester City which was quite a ride really but uh, so far this season it's been quite a ride too because they dominated Forest at St James's St James's and were battered at Brighton and managed to scrape a nil-nil um their main strength really under Eddie Howe has been St James's Park and away from home their process is actually really quite poor um so 
I'm a little bit nervous about getting involved in Newcastle this weekend. So I've left the major markets alone and I just thought there's a rare venture and a rare opportunity really to, to go towards the half-time market here and back the draw at 2.1 because it's a selection that's proven profitable in 60% of Bruno Large's matches in charge of Wolves. It's banked in all three of their Premier League games so far this season. And if you look at the half-time XG numbers, Wolves, in terms of total XG, are rank bottom of the Premier League in terms of goal mouth action in the first half. And that was also the same story last season. And I think it's more more by design than actual kind of, um, we might think, you know, Wolves, as we saw at Spurs last week, tend to sort of play themselves into the game before trying to be a bit more elaborate after half time. So, yeah, I mean, Newcastle have been level at the break uh, in 16 of 30 Premier League games under Eddie Howe. They've trailed just five times, which is really quite impressive too. So are they slow starters? Possibly, but uh, it's a wager that's won already twice in, in their three matches so far. And I just think odds against in a match which I'm sort of foreseeing as being not particularly high scoring or held to skelter. I think both teams are probably well matched right now. Um, I think it might be a bit of a slow burner. So happy to take the odds against on a halftime draw here. Excellent tipster and trader Mark Stinchkin returns. Stinch, Newcastle, I thought, were really good fun against Manchester City last weekend. And there aren't too many teams that discomfort Kyle Walker in the way that they were able to do. I know Alan Sam Maximan can be a bit hit and miss, but when he's on it and really actually contributing to the game and affecting the game, he's a hard guy to stop. And Bruno Gimaraes was excellent in midfield. Yeah, Sam Maximum averages the, the most dribbles in the Premier League, but it may be surprising to see he's like not even in the top 30 for, for most fouls. So it's kind of like maybe he's not doing these dribbles in enough dangerous areas, if you like. Um, well, nobody maybe... can touch him. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think sometimes maybe he, he does drop a little bit deep and, and maybe now Newcastle are becoming a bit more of a well-rounded team. He can stay a little bit higher up the pitch, not maybe average as many dribbles because he's having less of the ball, but he's doing it more in dangerous areas. So, yeah, I mean... Um, the talk of Bruno Guimaraes potentially going to Real Madrid and him, him saying he's staying, it's like, well, it wasn't as if there was a queue of clubs um, waiting for him in January when, when he obviously wanted out of Lyon. So I think it'd be a bit disingenuous for, for him to, to make out. I think clubs I mean, were surprised, though, to be fair. I think, I think there were clubs that got caught sleeping by Newcastle when he did go there because I think a lot of clubs were looking at him and thinking that will be something we can do next summer. And suddenly everybody just went, oh, Oh, he went there. Oh, okay. So I think I think I do think he's a good player. Real Madrid might be a stretch, to be fair. But yeah, I, I, I've been hugely impressed with him. This the intensity as well. He can play, he can pass, but he kicks people as well. And I, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mark, I can see grinning, uh, just the even hint of a player being violent. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting one, but. Another one I wanted to ask you about, Stinch, was Alexander Isak, because at time of recording, it looks as though that's a deal they're going to be able to do with Real Sociedad. He's a player who's not been a consistent finisher in his career, but he's got a very unusual and very impressive skill set. Yeah, very uh, similar, I would say, looking at the underlying numbers to Callum Wilson. So maybe no surprise they've perhaps gone down that route. Uh, maybe a Callum Wilson with a higher ceiling and less injury prone. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the times I've seen Isaac play well, particularly with Sweden, is when he's had a partner. So it's going to be interesting to see whether Newcastle will pair him with somebody. Um, 
because I think they're also uh, expected to sign João Pedro from from Watford. Um, so that kind of leads me maybe they'll continue with this four three three. I definitely think there's a player in in Isaac long term. I'm not sure whether Newcastle will, will necessarily get the best out of him, but you know certainly from where we were one year ago. Uh, fans of Newcastle worrying about you know staying in the Premier League now it's kind of can they maybe crack the the top six I think probably is the the ambition or or perhaps go and win a win a domestic trophy so yeah I'd say um, exciting times obviously um, remembering the fact that they are run run by a, run by a country so we're not you know playing that down by by any means but in terms in terms of this match um it is the, the the Sky Super Sunday game, and considering these these matches between these two don't tend to be exciting affairs. There's just 17 goals scored in the eight meetings since both back in the Prem, and the majority of them have finished 1-1. And uh, unders is shorter than eight to 11. I thought with people tuning in on a on a Sunday afternoon and wanting something to cheer on, that there may be like a fun a fun bet builder would be would be the way to go. So I've I've picked out something that comes out four to one. I think it's I think it's quite nice to cheer on without needing a lot to happen. So I've gone for Ruben Neves to have two shots, our friend uh, Mateus Nunes to have one shot, and Kieran Trippier to have one shot. Now it doesn't matter where those shots go as long as they're classified as shots. So miss it crosses probably won't register. Uh, <laughs> um, but that comes out four to one, and uh, I don't think I say I don't think it's a, a long shot at all. Uh, Ruben Neves is averaging 1.6 shots per game at home last season, and this season he started with two against Fulham. Nunes actually had four away at Spurs last weekend, which I think is uh, is rather high, and and uh, probably not uh, going to happen every week. Um, and he had one v Preston in the cup, which probably looks a bit more in keeping with his long term data. But as I say, the bet here is just one shot, so I think don't think it's uh, a lot to ask either. And Kieran Trippier obviously scored free kick against Man City last weekend. He's had a shot in half of his eight starts for Newcastle. And I feel all you need here is basically for Newcastle to pick up a free kick near the edge of the box. And we already discussed Sam Maximam averaging the most dribbles in the league. So I don't think it's far-fetched at all. For, for Marcus already mentioned it could be a, a slow burner. I think it could be very, very dull. So um, having... <laughs> Having something here where you just you just uh, ask the people to basically behave in the manner they normally behave in terms of how they play football, and with not actually needing the their actions to be anything meaningful, I think is uh, something that that could interest on 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 when you're sat in front of the TV on the Sunday afternoon. And if you're intrigued by what Stinch has said and you want to cheer that on, it's worth bearing in mind you can get a free £2 bet builder on any Premier League game. And that, would, of course, would apply uh, to Wolves-Newcastle. It's on either Saturday the 27th or Sunday the 28th of August. Maximum of one free £2 bet. Minimum combined odds of 1.5. So, obviously, Stinch's selections would cover you there. Eligibility criteria and T's and C's apply. We have another triple threat on the books with trader tipster and pundit Emmett O'Keefe on the team. Emmett you've brought to the table the clash of the underachievers at Villa Park as Aston Villa take on West Ham. Yeah I think kind of the consistent the, the, the theme of the podcast this season has been opposing Stephen Gerrard and Villa for I think we've kind of we've been talking every, every week about kind of the various kind of negative statistics surrounding Villa 
and just kind of just just to, to kind of uh, underline how important this game is for for Aston Villa. If if even if if they draw this weekend, fail to win, we'll say their next two matches are going to be Arsenal away and Man City at home. So I would say that if realistically, I, I think if if Jared doesn't win this win this weekend, chances are he will no longer be Villa manager after after that after that three game period. And I I'm inclined to, to oppose him again here. Obviously, there are negatives surrounding West Ham. Obviously, they're they're playing away in, in, in Vibor, the Conference League. They haven't scored a league goal this season, but I just think. I think there are more positives to them than, than than there are with Villa. I think Moyes can freshen up the team with Skamaka and Maxwell Cornet. I just think everything about Villa suggests we should be should be opposing them. It, it, like I said, they needed even even in, in, they played a really strong team midweek the League Cup, and they needed that kind of fluky uh, Douglas Louise kind of direct uh, scoring directly from a corner to get them back into the game before they eventually won won comfortably. I just think if, if if West Ham can even get the first goal, it's very very unlikely. Villa Villa will come back into it. I I I had West Ham closer to around maybe three point oh two point nine five in the exchange, and they're currently around three point three three point four, which just struck me as a bit of value. So I'd, I but I, I given how bad West Ham have been, I, I'd probably play it safer and play West Ham draw no bet, which again is currently around maybe two point three eight. So West Ham two point three eight the selection. So if the game is drawn, you get your yeah. state returns, but if exactly. West Ham win, uh, then you get an odds against payout. What's going wrong with Villa then, Emmett? Because you look at the quality they have going forward, that should work. Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins, I like yeah. very much. I think they're good players. Coutinho, Ramsey, I think is one of the best young players in the Premier League. So the quality is there going forward. What's gone wrong? It's a couple of things. I think the first thing is under... Under Jared's management, I think like at Rangers, d- defense was their real bedrock, especially yeah. way in Europe. And obviously, like Michael Bale is now QPR being a big part of that. And to be honest, I don't think Tyrone Mings is. I think I think he was right to drop him as caps. I don't think Tyrone Mings is a top class centre half at all. And I think getting rid of him and getting Diego Carlos in with with Desiree Cons, I think was a reasonable move to make. But it's kind of totally undermined Jared's authority that Carlos is is now injured and he's had to bring Mings back in. So I think the lack of defensive solidity and the lack of kind of maybe organization in their press is one part of it. And then an attack, I think, as we mentioned in the podcast before, the pieces don't fit. You've it's a bit like you you've you've two number tens in in Buendia and Coutinho who struggle to play together. They have like they like again, wings, uh, Danny Ings, Ali Watkins aren't complementary at all. Again, so you kind of have to play one or other. They don't have the kind of pace and penetration from wide. Obviously, they've been unlucky with Leon Bailey's injuries, but it, but he's their only kind of real quality wide option. So it wasn't it wasn't really a surpri- surprising to see them linked with Ismail Asar because they just they're lacking kind of pace and energy in, in those wide positions and the kind of the the attacking players they have just don't don't fit together at all. Yeah, it is strange the way that squad has been assembled. The quality, as you say, is there. I think Leon Bailey. Sadly, it's become a running theme all the way through his career, really, that he's had great patches of form and then injury problems and loss of form as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he can actually take that next level, uh, that leap to the next level on a consistent basis. Stinch, interesting test for Tottenham. They visit big spending Nottingham Forest. First, before we get into the game, uh, 
promoted clubs can't win, I always think. You've got Norwich, who got hammered for not spending anything. Then you've got Forest, who get hammered for spending loads. Now, I know they've gone a bit over the top because they've signed so many players, but at least they're showing ambition and at least they're trying to build a squad that can compete at this level. I don't mind either approach, to be honest. I mean, we don't know the the finances probably in the forensic style of, of both clubs, but it, it makes sense that Norwich weren't overspending. Um, I think their uh, director of football is a Stuart Webber I th- or Webster. I think he, he talked about the fact that they weren't going to extend themselves. And, you know, Nottingham Forest owned by uh, a, a guy that also owns Olympiacos, if I'm yeah, correct. Maranakis, um, yeah, yeah. Yes, and I think he's probably got a lot more money than Delia Smith and everybody else at Norwich. So I, I would suggest I think, that is correct. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's fine. I think the problem is really what Fulham did, as Emmett sort of referenced earlier in the show. They sort of signed signed like players on paper that were good, but maybe didn't fit the profile of, of fighting a relegation battle. And I don't think Forest are going to be in a relegation battle, but at least like having commitment and 100% uh, work ethic. You know, I think Fulham very attractive in terms of uh, you coming from abroad and you get to live in London, etc. Whereas I think Forrest have actually focused on players that are going to be, they're all going to be singing from the same hymn sheet, basically, under Steve Cooper. You know, I'm a huge, huge Steve Cooper fan. And I, I don't think they're signing these players without him him signing them off, essentially. And, you know, they've done their background. They've got players in that I think, are going to contribute to the team ethic, the teamwork. So I think both approaches are absolutely fine, depending on your your long term finances. I mean, you know, you're not you're not spending to try and stay in for one season. You're spending to try yeah. and uh, consolidate. And I think Norwich are done absolutely fine in 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 their approach. I mean, I know they they've suffered relegation again, but you know they are likely to finish in the top six again this season. What what would you prefer to be a, a Sunderland or a Portsmouth or, or a Berry going it? out? You of don't business? want to bankrupt yourself and then you're in the wilderness for years. You end up down in League Two or something like that. It's it can happen. Yeah, there's so many, so many examples because, you know, when you get all that big Premier League money, it's sometimes hard to see how the books are going to balance in two, three years because your projections and where you're going to finish in that time can range massively because football is a high variance game. So, yeah, I don't think any any issue the way Forrest have gone about it. Um, I really like them. I spoke about um, on, on the previous podcast and, and see, in terms of season bets and trying to side with them on the handicap. But... I'm not going to side with them this weekend in in the match odds or even in the match. Uh, Forrester six to one. Spurs look a little bit short, four to nine. But the, I think the problem here, if you were to back, because I've been backing Forrest on the handicaps or, or double chance. But I think the problem here with opposing Forrest in against a team like Tottenham. Tottenham have got elite finishers in Kane and Son. You know, you could back Forest here plus 1.25 on the Asian handicap. They lose by one. You still win half your bet. Um, you know, they draw. You, your whole bet wins. But the thing is here, Tottenham, they could easily, you know, rack up sort of expected goals of like 0.5 and win 3-0. You know, when you've yeah. got Kane and Son yeah. that that are elite finishers at low quality chances, I think it's a dangerous, dangerous uh, to try and to try and side with Forrest in that particular angle. But you know, Tottenham aren't, aren't themselves uh, themselves. Uh, I would say are potentially vulnerable. You look at them against uh, Wolves last weekend. Wolves had 20 shots, and it wasn't from game state. You know, Tottenham didn't take the lead until the second half. Um, 
So that that was slightly concerning. Then you look at the fact in Spurs' other two games, they've conceded um, 15 shots on average across the across the other uh, two games combined. Uh, Chelsea away, which obviously you know is understandable, but Southampton at home as well, you wouldn't expect that uh, kind of thing. And Forest um, also wary about the fact that they have been to Everton and shipped nearly 20 shots. They went to Newcastle and shipped over 20, but when they were at home to West Ham. They were very quick out the blocks. They had 11 shots alone in in the first half. And I I was impressed. And I think the atmosphere at the city ground is going to be like electric all season. Um, You know, it's their first time back in the Premier League for, you know, 20 odd years. I think historically they are a Premier League club. They they do deserve to to be up in there. And yeah, I'd say I'm very, very keen on on Steve Cooper. So I I think that the bet I've decided on is uh, Forrest to have 11 shots at 10 to 11. As I said, they got that uh, alone in the first half against West Ham. I think they'll be quick out of the block. Um, I think game state could help as well. You know, Spurs are the four to nine favourites. If Spurs take the leads, they, they could mean that they sit back and then Forrest will continue to attack. So I think you've got a lot on your side here. Um, But you could also look a little bit... um, deeper into the game and get maybe Tottenham on your side you could look at the match shots so you could maybe back over 26 shots in the match or whatever Um, but that would also mean that Tottenham would have to contribute so I think I'm just reducing the variance here by just siding with one team which it which is likely they will have to chase the game at some point which should lead to more shots and I don't think 11 is a is a tough ask to clear when they managed it in one half alone. This football season, you can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Now it's time for Mark My Words, the weekly feature that sees Mark O'Hare give us a European nap. Mark, the floor is yours. Okay, uh, back to France on Sunday. We've got Brest taking on Montpellier. Um, I think I, I touched on on these two teams uh, a few times already this season, but uh, it's uh, basically because both teams are coached by forward-thinking managers, really, who like to play expansive attacking football and goals tend to flow because their weaknesses are at the other end of the field. And, and particularly Brest, if you look at their sort of main weakness, it is defence, particularly on the flanks. And that was exposed against Lons on the opening weekend. They lost 3-2, but put up a really decent fist of things. They then drew one all at home to Marseille, but generated over two expected goals in that game and were quite unlucky not to take the points uh, before beating Angers 3-1 away last week, a red card helping them, but they were already ahead before that uh, as well. And they created over one and a half expected goals again, had 10 shots in the box. So they're going really great guns going forward. Mikhail Desikarian, the head coach, who's renowned for his kind of uh, carefree attitude towards his teams in terms of uh, invention and creation. And particularly at home too, they've been very strong. They've scored in 16 of the last 20 home league and games, but recorded just five clean sheets in that sample with 2.95 goals per game seen on average. Then you've got Montpellier, uh, who beat a really poor Trois team 3-2 on the opening day and were eviscerated by PSG, but still managed to score twice in a 5-2 defeat in Paris and, and then lost from a winning position at home to uh, Auxerre last weekend, 2-1, uh, two red cards going against them. So there's been 15 goals in their first three games. They're now without their defensive 
midfielder Fayed through suspension. Unfortunately, their best playmaker, TJ Savanier, is also suspended. That is a big blow, but um, I still think they've got enough punch going forward. Uh, there's a lot of pace in that team, a lot of exciting youngsters coming through, particularly in midfield and forward areas. Uh, they are traditionally the, the great entertainers in France. So they're, um, I expect them to get on the score sheet, but they're just far from trustworthy defensively. Major concerns at centre-half, huge concerns. They're defending from set pieces too. So I think the ingredients are in place for a, a high-scoring game here. Montpellier have scored in 14 of the last 20 away days, kept just five clean sheets. Uh, we only are three match days deep in this uh, league one season, but collectively these two teams have seen BTTS bank in six of six, overs in five of six, and over three and a half goals in four of six. So um, happy to take over two and a half goals and both teams will score even money. Mark must have loved league out at the weekend, by the way. There were tons of red cards, absolutely tons of them. There was more violence than the French Revolution at the weekend. It was a very odd set of games. Uh, let's go to Italy, maybe for a bit less violence, maybe not. Uh, Fiorentina against Napoli, Emmett. This feels goal fields to me. Uh, Napoli were brilliant against Monza. I know it's Monza who are basically a load of lads who've just met. Um, but, you know, this is going to be fun, I think. <laughs> I think so. I, I think, it's, yeah, exactly. I, the kind of a high-scoring game is, is the betting angle I'm, I'm leaning towards here. I think, yeah, for just for people who haven't have been following, Napoli have scored nine goals in their first two matches and, and conceded two. And I think there are, I say, when I was coming into the season, and looking at kind of look through Serie A for kind of maybe maybe an outright bet, you're looking at Napoli on the face of it. It's, it's just like Koulibaly, Insigne both left, getting players in on the cheap. This team won't be as good as it won't, it won't be as good as they were last year. But the early returns might suggest that that, that, that might not might not be the case. Insigne only scored I think two goals from open play in Serie A last year, and his replacement apologies in advance to Eastern Europeans out, out here. Kavarat Shalia, the Georgian who's been uh, nicknamed, he's been nicknamed Kavar Kavaradonna by the by the, by the Neapolitans, which shows the level of excitement. I think he's he scored I think, three goals and had two assists through um, through Napoli's for, for, for first two matches, and which is he's those three goals are already more more goals in open play than Insigne had last season. And then v Victor Osman again, I think has a bit of player that kind of people are expecting to break out. He's only scored two goals, but he's 15 shots in, in, in his first two matches, which is an incredible amount. That's like 7.5 a game, which would be way more than even the likes of Neymar, Neymar and Messi would have for PSG, which 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 does indicate you how many chances that that Napoli are creating. I think as well, just their their recruitment looks very true. Because if, if, even if Osman goes down, they've signed uh, Raspadori from Sassuolo. They signed uh, Diego Simeone's son, who's who, 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 who's excellent for Verona last season. So they have kind of good striker options. Again, like Tangi and Dombele is a player I would want to buy low on. It's two or three years since he was regarded as one of the best young midfielders in Europe. So again, I think having him on a loan where he's something to prove, I think, again, and, 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 and it, it, even if it fails, like they, they've lost nothing. So I think Napoli's, Napoli's, Napoli's recruitment looks very good. They're, they're current, there's some places that have maybe 12 to 1 for Serie A, which I'm kind of eyeing up. But specifically for this game, I think I think Fiorentina were held nil all at Empley last week. But I think Empley, Empley played a kind of very defensive manner. Fiorentina had 19 shots, Empley had four. Fiorentina failed to score. But I think I think this would be a far more open game 
with, with, with both teams attacking and kind of a maybe a two all or a kind of a three two style kind of level of game. Both teams to score over two and a half goals on the bet builders currently around one point eight. That looks fair to me. I think it's two, two, two really potent attacks playing against each other, and for kind of a, for a bigger price. I'll go for the bet I recommended last week, but it didn't. Uh, Osman scored, but Lukijovic didn't. But I think it, them both to score in a bet builder is around six to one. So I think that's that, that that's probably worth it, worth a smaller bet as well. I did take your advice actually and took Osimhen to score and Napoli to win against Monza, and that came out about one point nine. So I was happy with that the way it turned out. Mark, you're taking us to Spain, Cadiz against Athletic Club. It might be fun. Who knows? No, it won't be fun. No, um, <laughs> I didn't think it would be. Brutality, <laughs> um, yeah. I imagine, is the road you've gone down. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an angle. Uh, the, the the league referees are only just released this morning, so I've not had a huge chance to dig into things in the card market. Jail, he means they've told us who the referees are going to be. Not that they've <laughs> yeah. just been released this morning. And uh, we'll have to wait for card markets on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, La Liga has been a, a bit of a, a bore for the last sort of year or two, really, for being honest about it. Um, there's been a few sort of standout games, but largely the goals per game is down dramatically on previous years. Not too surprising with Messi and Ronaldo leaving the league. But uh, these two teams together have scored just once so far in their first four games across the first two match days. Uh, Cadiz beaten by Sociedad 1-0 uh, at home before losing 2-0 at Tosasuna. Managed just four shots on target across those matches and 10 shots in the box. Uh, a really poor return and the XG just comes in at 1.23. So issues going forward for Cadiz. Uh, defensively, they've been a little bit open. Well, they were against Sociedad anyhow, but um, they do tend to be a bit more robust on home soil. And they've seen the unders land in 13 of the last 18 as hosts. Uh, the playing athletic team who... Uh, on the surface of it, have started reasonably well under Ernesto Valverde. Uh, a 0-0 at home to Mallorca was a bit of a, a bloody nose, but they beat Valencia 1-0 at home last week. But it's just age-old concerns for Athletic right now. Um, you can kind of trace it back to when Adaris retired, but they've had 35 shots, 18 from inside the box, and scored just one goal from 2.65 expected goals. And that's going to be their downfall this season as they chase European positions, just don't have the ability in the final third to convert their opportunities when they do come around. So that's something to worry me uh, if I'm looking to sort of get Athletic on side. But defensively, they've been exceptional just two shots on target conceded so far uh away from home they can be a bit of a grind though 15 of the last 19 away gone under two and a half goals 11 of those have gone under one and a half goals um so quite happy to attack the under two and a quarter line here uh, at around about 1.8 um it means that if there's exactly two goals we get a half stakes winner if there's zero or one goal in this match we get a full stakes winner three goals or more and the bet is bust um, the two teams non-penalty expected goal averages through two match days read 1.8 for Cadiz and 1.86 for Athletic so not a huge amount of clear opportunities are being crafted by these two teams Defensively, I do think they're quite rigid and I wouldn't put anyone off the uh, 6-1 shout and the nil-nil correct score either Monday night. Well, that sounds fun. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of good preview content on our website, betting.betfair.com. We've got lots of Premier League previews, EFL, La Liga, Liga, Bundesliga and Serie A as well. From Emmett, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.